Welcome to Jawbone with Dr. J and Dr. J. I'm John Monza, professor of strategy at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, and I'm joined by Dr. John Michaelshek, professor of theory and history at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, or otherwise known as JAWS. Uh, today in this episode, we're going to talk briefly about Ukraine and the stalemate uh, in Ukraine, which has been going on for several months now. Maybe just to kick it off, John, you know, I would point out that it seems like we've been in a search over the last several months for some wonder weapon that is going to break the stalemate in Ukraine. First, it was uh, uh, American M1 tanks, and then if they only had longer-range uh, rocket artillery, now everyone's calling for uh, uh, American fighter jets to be employed on the battlefield. I don't see any of these uh, individual weapon systems as decisive. What's your view? So, yeah, Ukraine, when uh, the war kicked off, uh, we were in a session with the Swedish Defense University, all watching it. And I think to kind of summarize everything, we, uh, like most folks in the nation, security, military, well, we're kind of expecting a quick victory here by the Russians. Uh, you know, there was hope that it would it would go differently. Uh, and then the way we're we're kind of looking at it, again, it's current, so it's hard to write the history of something while it's going on. You know, the first stage was the Russian offensive around Kiev. Then where you have it, just the Russian offensive stops. Then you have winter. You have, and then we are now in this counter-offensive phase, which we'll get to. Um, and what I do think, you, the way you introduced it is, if looking at it as a historian, it kind of looks like Vietnam. How every year, if commanders would come in, we need this, this, this. We will, you know, incrementally win. Um, so I don't know if any weapon, as we keep going on, this war keeps going on into almost year two, is going to be decisive, um, and I know you have some ideas on that. Uh, but what I was going to ask you, since we are in still, it is July, um, and your past role in NATO, what do you think so far of the Ukrainian counteroffensive? So I think the counteroffensive uh, from several months ago uh, demonstrated a point you often make. You often make with your students that really there's nothing new in war. So uh, that offensive um, was fairly successful by the Ukrainians. Um, it was all a, a deceptive effort that a, the offensive would take place in the south. Um, and people say, well, because of satellites and unmanned aerial systems, there's no longer an element of surprise in war like that. But the Ukrainians did surprise the Russians and went north when they thought they were going to go south. So it's, it reflects, in my mind, uh, the unchanging nature of, of war, uh, as we often talk to our students uh, about. Um, the offensive, though, now that the Ukrainians uh, are under pressure to realize, uh, under pressure from a lot of allies to demonstrate progress, um, has not materialized as many folks would have wanted. Um, it turns out that the Russians had plenty of time to defend, to defend in depth. They've put out millions of mines. Uh, they have a massive uh, artillery capability. 
that is, I think, really the hallmark of Russian forces now going back since World War II. Uh, and the Ukrainians are finding uh, it at the current phase impossible to have a decisive breakthrough, a breakthrough that is so significant that it would lead to a rout of the Russian forces. I personally no longer think that is possible just because of the Russian advantages in artillery. Um, the defense always has an advantage uh, over the offense. Uh, the Russian advantages, even though they're poorly trained in just raw numbers of personnel. Um, so I think right now, I wouldn't say it's like Vietnam, it's like World War I. Uh, neither side can have a decisive breakthrough. Yeah, math still matters. Um, and one of the things I think we, I think when we we talk narratives, which we haven't talked to yet, uh, it's hard. But we talked about historical narratives. But I think if you ask most Americans, non-military, non-military historian, uh, I think the general public expected in this whenever the counteroffensive that a there'd be some big signal, like it would just magically say unleash the hounds, and you would go off. I also think the general public views that when you, when you think offensive, counteroffensive, massive breakthrough. And I think that it is harder to do than I think the general public knows. I also think, too, look back on World War II, we were at the advent of mass media. Television was getting there, radio. I would like to think if we had social media, TV, and World War II, would we be having these same debates about well, why isn't why isn't the the Allies breaking out of Normandy faster? And I think that's something to think about too. Puts it all in context. Now, John, you are in a past life an elite strategist, operational artist. So I've been told. What do you think the Ukrainians could do to alter the situation? Uh, maybe if not, do a conventional breakthrough. But how can they win? Well, as I just described, I don't think a conventional breakthrough is a realistic possibility for the Ukrainians. So I think they need to take this war to the Russians uh, in an asymmetric fashion. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean by asymmetric? So I would uh, abandon uh, for the time being uh, this idea of a, of a conventional breakthrough with infantry and tanks supported by, by – uh, indirect fire, uh, and perhaps they look at, at fighting the war in a different way. Maybe they go on the defense on the battlefield, um, which again is, is stronger than, than the offense, uh, and look at how they can take the war to the Russian forces or even the Russian people uh, through an asymmetric uh, means. And this could be you know all across the, the spectrum. It could be you know, a information campaign. It could be, as you see them doing a little bit with uh, with drone warfare, uh, recent attacks just over the last few days in in Moscow. Um, but but they need to fight where the Russian forces in Ukraine are not. They need to go somewhere else to carry out this uh, this war if they want to be successful. Now, what do you think politically? Is that doable? You're the Zelensky government, U.S. government. We talked about Trinity with Dr. Smith last time. Is that practicable? 
Well, here's what's really tough. You know, um, I've written uh, in recent months, you've read some of my my dribble on this. Musings. That a, uh, you know, a defeat of the Russian forces in Ukraine, in my estimation, significantly increases the use of a nuclear weapon by Putin. Um, I don't think his regime can withstand a complete routing uh, in uh, the Donbass in eastern Ukraine, or especially of the Russian forces in Crimea. I just don't think Putin would allow that to happen. Um, and this is survival interest of war. So if it's the survival of Putin's regime, he will do anything to ensure the survival of his regime, again, including the use of of nuclear weapons. So, you know, this puts the American government in a difficult position because we're supporting the Ukrainian forces um, and one of the critiques that you read about in the New York Times or Washington Post uh, almost every day is that we are giving the Ukrainians enough weapons to punish the Russians, but not enough to win on the battlefield. And as simple as it sounds, you know, winning is tough to measure. You know, conflict termination is difficult uh, in any war. Um, but we have to envision what would it look like for an end uh, of this war. And I'm not sure that um, that the end of the war with the use of a nuclear weapon is the outcome we're looking for. So again, we need to find a way, uh, I think, to bring more stability to the battlefield in Ukraine itself, um, perhaps with the Ukrainians being uh, more on the defensive uh, and an asymmetric uh, use of, of instruments of power. So, you know, here at this school, we talk about all the instruments of power uh, to be applied against, uh, against the Russians. So it's diplomatic, it's information, it's economic. You see a lot of those being used against Russia now. Um, but are there other instruments of power that could be brought to bear asymmetrically against the Russians instead of just on the battlefront in eastern Ukraine. Yeah, good. And again, historically, I think most nation states tend to fall in love with the M and neglect the, the D, the I, and the E. Uh, and that's always a constant, again, goes back to that Clausewitzian trinity there. Now, you mentioned the war ending. And I don't want to make this be like sports book betting. But how do you think the war ends as of now, July 2023? So right now, and again, uh, you know, we should point out these are the musings of two professors, uh, not elite professors, but yes, not certainly uh, um, the view of uh, our leadership in Washington. But I think, you know, as with most wars, this will have to end with a negotiated settlement that both sides can agree to. And oftentimes in conflicts like this, uh, you see the events unfolding as we see them now, uh, where one side tries an offensive, it fails. The other side tries a counteroffensive, uh, it fails. Uh, sometimes this results in a what is known in political science, at least, as a mutually destructive stalemate. Um, and when you reach that point, then the two combatants usually settle on uh, into positions that they never thought would be acceptable before the war broke out. So in this case, it may be um, for Putin, 
the acceptance of an independent Ukrainian state, perhaps even a Ukraine that belongs to NATO. Um, and for Zelensky, perhaps this means the ceding of some Ukrainian territory in order to achieve that, that independence. But uh, right now, I don't believe either one of those leaders are in a position to even think that way. Uh, because as you know, John, and as you teach, war is a test of wills. And and right now, I don't think either side has their will broken. Yeah, not yet. Um, and they think the winter, particularly in this part of the world, uh, go back to World War II, is when a lot of things can change. And when you talked about will and, you know, what what you would not accept before winter, now you might accept after winter. Yeah, that was the the uh, the follow on to that is I think and maybe this is not doesn't make for the most interesting podcast since we tend to agree on most of the Ukraine things is is this going to be ending anytime soon or is this are we talking this because again if we talk Ukraine we're focused on twenty twenty two you can roll it back further it's you know you got Crimea twenty fourteen even before that two thousand eight you got stuff going on nearby as well. Is this going to be whether that war terminates? There's still going to be some conflict, but this war, the conventional phase, is this going to be? What do you think? Is it another winter, or is this going to be like a five, ten year, eventually forever war? Well, if there's any nation state on the planet uh, that is better suited to a long war, I think it's the Russians. Um, they are uh, accepting of casualties. Um, they love the heavy use of firepower, and you know, as they've shown in World War II, they can simply endure for a long period of time. Um, you know, and the the Russian people, despite uh, you know the problems they've had even over recent months with uh, with Wagner Group and others, they they still seem quite resilient here. So I don't think you're going to see the Russians giving up anytime soon. And Zelensky fighting on his home turf uh, for. The Ukrainian people, I don't think you'll see them giving up either side uh, or, uh, very soon. And, um, you know, the fact that neither side can achieve a breakthrough, again, to me, reminiscent of World War I, I think this drives on uh, with uh, various offenses, counteroffenses over the next several months at least, if not for another year perhaps or more. Yeah. So – I think we will revisit this topic from time to time. Um, and then, you know, we talk about we can't predict the future here. Luck, friction fog will emerge. Things could turn around very quickly. Um, and I think we'll revisit this with also guest speakers and guests when we come through. Um, and we'll come back to this at another time. But until then, got anything else, Dr. Mazza? No, congratulations on your uh... – Award again, award. John, and uh, looking forward to a great semester with you. Yeah, and uh, for those, uh, make sure you read your Clausewitz, and uh, see you next time.